any person's interaction with God took place at the temple. And if you would, I'd like to go back to the Old Testament to just show you what this looks like and to show you the purpose of the temple. Again, if you want to, turn to the left to 1 Kings. Go to 1 Kings chapter 8. Not an easy book to find, uh, but 1 Kings chapter 8, again, we'll provide the text for you. Here's Solomon's words immediately after the temple had been finished. Uh, the construction project was, was over. Here's what he says. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Yet give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy, O Lord my God. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence this day. May your eyes be open toward this temple night and day, this place of which you said, My name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer your servant prays toward this place. And so, God, we have established this temple because we know you will be there, and we know that you have helped to establish this place so that we can have a relationship with you. And so now do what you said you will do. And hear the prayers of those who come to you. Verse 30. Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. So why did the people go to the temple? What was Solomon's request for its purpose? A place to hear the prayers of the servants. A place where people can come when they look for forgiveness. You know what kind of prayers were heard? Prayers of people who are just looking for answers. The prayers of people who are looking for hope. The prayers of people who are looking for some healing in their life and prayers for forgiveness. And when you think about it, isn't that part of the reason why we go to God too? I mean, the prayers that I pray are, are found in those, those answers, those that search for hope, that search for healing, that search for forgiveness. And when you're hurt by your best friend, I mean, you, you go to God for forgiveness or you go to God with um, you know, looking for wisdom or just even that ability to forgive. Or when you find out that your kid has a critical medical condition, I mean, you turn to God. I mean, you go to Him and, and sometimes it's in anger and in frustration, but you go to Him seeking healing and release. Or when you lose your job. When you go to God looking for provision. You know, just with with the promise that He's going to provide the money that's needed to pay the bills every month. Or when your husband walks out. and, And you turn to God for comfort. Because there's no one on this earth that can give you the comfort that you need. In verse 10, we encounter two men on their way to the temple in pursuit of God. The one was a Pharisee, the Bible tells us. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. They were the righteous ones. They had it all together. I mean, these are the guys that got straight A's in school. You know, we don't really care for them, but they're here, and so we have to deal with them. Uh, They do good things for us. But the Pharisees believed that there were tens of thousands of laws that needed to be kept. I mean, if you were going to be righteous, if you were going to be right in God's eyes, you had to do everything correctly. And it was all about the show. I mean, the more righteous you were, the more God would think of you. And so the Pharisees cut them off themselves off from ordinary people. And then we meet the tax collector. The tax collector worked for the Roman IRS. 
Tax collectors were responsible for gathering a fair tax, but tax collectors were allowed and encouraged to overtax the people for their own sake and for their own benefit. And so in the Jewish people's eyes, tax collectors were the scum of the earth. I mean, you you did nothing. You did not acknowledge tax collectors. You remember Zacchaeus was a tax collector and the crowd would have nothing to do with him. Most Jews sold themselves out to the Roman government in order to become these tax collectors, and so they would be considered traitors. It'd be like you, as an IU fan, in this difficult time of this this upcoming basketball season, switching your allegiance to Purdue, all right? That's what we're talking about here. You don't switch loyalties, and that's what the tax collectors did. Two men pursuing God, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like the tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. And so the Pharisee stood up, which was not an uncommon practice in prayer in the temple at this time, but he uses the personal pronoun four times. He's not really asking for anything. He's praying to himself. He's, he's speaking words so that he can hear himself pray this eloquent prayer and that, you know, it's a prayer without purpose. And he commends himself for his righteous living. And he talks about the fact that he fasts and that he tithes and he, he gives a tenth of everything. And he compares himself to robbers and, and evildoers and adulterers and even the tax collector. He's making a great effort on the outside, but it's his inside that's all mixed up. And you know what? I think you and I are like Pharisees once in a while. And I think sometimes as we think about what it means to go before God or to please God or to have our prayers answered, that we somehow got to get everything in line and perfected before God will want to have anything to do with us. What do we learn from the tax collector? Verse 13. But the tax collector, I love this phrase right here stood at a distance. He didn't even make it to the temple. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so the tax collector is quite the contrast. The tax collector recognized his unworthiness to go any further. The closer he got to the temple, the more he saw his sin in his life. The guilt welled up inside of him. He refused the normal posture of standing and looking up to heaven to pray. Instead, he fell to his knees. And like a scolded child, he refused to look into the eyes of his father. His prayer, Father, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's better translated with the capital T, the sinner, the ultimate sinner. And he stood at a distance. He felt so ashamed of his life that he couldn't go any further. Have you ever felt that ashamed? Have you ever felt that ashamed of who you were, what you had done, some mistakes and some choices, poor choices that you had made, that you couldn't even bring yourself to walk into the doors of a church? You stood at a distance. Or maybe you isolated yourself from all of your friends and maybe they were friends that were going to church and at least appeared to have everything in order. But as you went through this difficult season, you just couldn't help but 
remove yourselves from the group a little bit and stand at a distance? Or have you ever got caught up in such a pattern of living, you know, some poor choices and and in there there was some regret and there was some great frustration, but you were kind of in this rebellious mode where, you know, you were going to live your life and you were going to make your own choices and you were going to do what felt right even though you knew it wasn't. And in the process, you knew that you were just standing at a distance from God. And you felt so ashamed. Here's what I want you to see from this parable. Please see that it's not the Pharisee, the one with the straight A's that found access or even approval in the eyes of God. It was the other guy. It was the one who stood at a distance and couldn't bring himself to go any further. It was the tax collector. And here's what I think we see in the pursuit. It's not necessarily who we are or what we have to show for. The key to the pursuit is the condition of our heart. Verse 14. Oh, I turned away from it. I don't think we have this one on the screen either. Here it is. Verse 14. I tell you, this is what Jesus said, I tell you that this man, the the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will will be exalted. Here's what I wanted you to see. The key to the pursuit. The key to a growing and a thriving relationship with God. The key to being able to have the assurance that when you go before God and pray that He's listening is a humble heart. That's the key word. It's a humble heart. You know, the word humility means a modest or a low view of one's importance. Showing a low estimate of of one's importance. Uh, I I think it also means two things. I'm just going to give you these two real quick before we wrap up here this morning. Humility is a sense of our own inadequacy. I don't know if you've ever felt inadequate or not. I remember when I tried out for my eighth grade boys basketball team. I moved from a very small town and a very small school to a larger town, much like Noblesville, larger school. And I remember just all throughout this basketball tryout, just this this feeling, this sense of being inadequate. And it proved to be true. I did. I got cut from the basketball team. I never even made the squad. I still carry the pains from that, you know. And I try and live that out today in my love for the sport, uh, even today. But to be humble, to, to live like the tax collector is to have a sense of our own inadequacy. You know, it's about who we compare ourselves to. You know, are you, are you guilty of looking at the sins of others rather than the sins of your own life or are like the tax collector, do you compare yourself to God? Because as we live our lives and as we take these kind of, um, you know, regular checks of where we are and how we're growing, I, I think we've always got to look to God. I think we've got to look to Jesus and he needs to be the one that we compare ourselves to. Because when we do that, we find that we're inadequate. And I think we prove that our heart is humble. I think humility or this this humbleness is also a sense of our own sin. And so it's a sense of our own inadequacy. It's a a sense of our own sin. And we could call the Pharisee a saint. You know, he managed to sin well. You know, this was never Jesus' greatest concern. But as the tax collector walked the path to the temple, all of the shameful things of his life passed before him, and he saw nothing but his own sin. 
What does the Bible say about humility real quick? Isaiah chapter 66 verses 1 and 2. Here's what it says. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. But hear this. This is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. James chapter 4 verse 6. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 6. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Humility is a, a sense of our own inadequacy before God. It's a sense of our own sin. That's what humility is. And it's the condition of our heart that God is looking for as we begin this, this, this pursuit or as we continue in this pursuit to know Him as best as we can. What's that look like? Here's, here's what I want to share with you. Um, this past weekend, we had the opportunity to go back to my hometown in Springfield, Illinois for a couple of days. And we went there so that my parents could have the boys for a week and have some time with them and we could have some time alone with Kate and and this is going to be a very busy week for us. But at the same time, I also had the privilege of being able to speak at a young adult retreat Friday night and Saturday morning at a local Christian camp. It was a Christian camp that I went to every summer for many years, beginning in second grade and all the way through high school and, and maybe some of you have those same sort of experiences. And it was kind of a walk down memory lane for me because I hadn't been to the camp in probably 10 or 15 years. But as I walked around the camp the other night and as I was preparing to speak and just spending some time reflecting on the camp, I, I couldn't help but see so many instances in my life where God was doing an intentional work in me that I probably didn't realize at that moment. Like as I stood in this particular chapel to speak on Friday night, I remembered and recalled exactly where I was sitting when I stepped forward and surrendered my life to Jesus Christ when I was the age of 11. And I took that step and I met with someone and I later went home and was baptized in my church. I remembered that it was in that exact same chapel that I had served as a voluntary children's pastor for a children's camp. And for an entire week, you know, twice a day I was in charge of giving the message and just trying to process the fact that God, even at that young age, was giving me opportunities that I would have never imagined myself in. And I remembered a particular night when they had the opportunity to go before my peers at a high school camp around the campfire and share a little bit of my testimony and where I felt God was leading me into the future. And as I look back now, And if I try and find one particular moment where I knew God was calling me into ministry, I don't have that one particular moment. But I have a lifetime where I just see God working in me on specific occasions at different points in my life to prepare me for full-time ministry. And as I think about that, and as I process that, I'm humbled. I can't help but just stand at a distance in awe of a God who would choose me to be a part of His great work here in this world. And for my wife and I right now, we have nothing to complain about. We've had a wonderful life so far. We've got three amazing kids. We've served at two incredible churches. 
And we are so blessed with a great marriage. I mean, we are, are each other's greatest cheerleaders and greatest supporters. And we really have no reason to leave Louisville. It's a great church. It, it offers great security and there's so much promise for the future. But about a year ago, my wife started praying. And I joined her too. And we began praying because we believed that God was only, only going to keep us there for a short amount of time. And we prayed that God would do a work in us and that when He was ready to move us to a new location, that we would go and we would go faithfully. And we began praying for the city that we know as Indianapolis because we've always believed in our hearts that this feels as close to home as possible. Jenny's family's from Fort Wayne. Mine's from Illinois. We went to school here. And we've just kind of always had Indy on our heart. And I can remember back in the spring as we were both praying about this, saying to her on one particular day, Jenny, what if God calls us to Noblesville? And it was almost one week, maybe two weeks from that day that we were on our way back from Florida, just Jenny and I, passing through Birmingham, Alabama in this horrible rainstorm. And I checked my voicemail and there was a voicemail by, by, by a guy by the name of Steve Wallen asking me if I would ever consider coming to Noblesville. And it was at that moment, and it's at that moment here today, but I just can't help but stand at a distance and be in awe and humbled by a God who's been working for so many years in this church and in my life, and right now he's about ready to intersect, I think, both of us to do a greater work here in this community. I'm humbled by that. And for you, as you seek answers to difficult questions, my prayer is that you would go before God with a humble heart. As you seek hope to get through a complicated season, my prayer is that you would go before God with a humble heart. As you seek strength to live faithful each day, a humble heart. As you seek the power to heal your broken marriage and believe that God can do it, I pray for a humble heart. And as you seek a deeper, more satisfying relationship with God, I pray that you would go before Him, acknowledging that He's God, you're not, and that you will have a humble heart. And if you're here this morning, and you've been standing on the fringe, and you've been looking in from the outside, and wondering what a relationship with God might look like, and you're just waiting for this exact moment, I pray that you would hear these words of truth this morning from 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9, that if you seek Him, you will find Him. And maybe today is the day that as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's my invitation to say to you, maybe today is the day you found Him. And the condition of your heart and your emptiness and your loneliness is just right. And God is ready to step into your life and show you that just because you're inadequate and just because you carry this weight of sin that He can take it all away because He has promised to do so because of the death of His Son, Jesus Christ, and the fact that the tomb could not hold Him, but that He was resurrected from the dead. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I just want to thank You for this day. And I just want to thank You for bringing us all into this place, Lord, and for the work that You have been doing in our lives even before we got here this morning. Father God, I pray that you would show us over and over in our life the value of a humble heart. 
And I know that we just barely touched on it today. And I know that there's so much more to talk about. But I just pray that even as we leave here, that we'd be motivated to seek that out on our own. God, would you show us that if we seek you, you will be there. And as we pray our prayers, God, would you hear them? And when our heart is not right, would you help to get it on the right track? Thanks for being a God who has given us his son, Jesus Christ, that we can find life in him. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.